Welcome to Science or Fiction, a podcast by sci-fi author Michael James Sharon. In this program, we'll be discussing science, fiction, and the often blurred spaces between the two. Here we try to dispel common scientific misconceptions by both Hollywood and the media, even that which is meant to be educational. My background includes a Bachelor of Science and Master of Arts in Physics with experience in both R&D and production. I hope you enjoy these podcasts, and if there are comments or input, please direct them via contact page for my website, michaelsbookcorner.com. Going out on an ever more sturdy limb, I predicted NASA in the not-too-distant future will have a considerable amount of egg on their faces. If they keep up their foot dragging on the search for extraterrestrial life, they will be scooped either by Elon Musk's Martian pioneers or by the communist Chinese. One alleged mission of NASA is to seek out extraterrestrial life. Several, including myself, are convinced they have already done so. In 1976, both of the landers sent to Mars, Viking 1 and Viking 2, carried out an elegant set of tests for the existence of life, or at least life that we recognize. This was the labeled release experiment. It is important to note here that this experimental package barely made it into the program, cautioning us to wonder just what the higher mucky mucks in the already bloated bureaucracy were up to. To be fair, there was no doubt intense competition from the science community at the time. NASA was skeptical and told the researchers, Gilbert Levin and Patricia Ann Strat, that they must first demonstrate that the test worked. Dr. Levin sought out the most desolate ground in Antarctica, where no one expected life could survive, and performed the test there. He found it. The labeled release experiment looks for the byproducts of metabolism that are common in terrestrial microbes. One example would be yeast feeding on sugar to then release carbon dioxide and alcohol. My high school biology teacher referred to alcohol as yeast crap. With all parts of the apparatus as sterile as possible, the test consisted of a means to scoop up Martian soil to then inoculate it with a mixture of seven potential nutrients. Unfortunately, there was not room enough to test each nutrient separately, as some were sets of enantiomers or opposite isomers. Most life on Earth consumes molecules, which are right-handed. Molecules are made up of elements which occupy specific positions within that molecule. One example is your left and right hands. Your hands are very similar, but not quite the same. They are mere images of each other. Imagining the hand as a molecule with the same element on each corresponding fingertip, those molecules will also be mirror images. These molecules would then be enantiomers. Microbes or cells are made out of left-handed amino acids and consume right-handed sugars. The cell will starve given only the wrong type. Nutrients sprinkled on the Martian regolith were labeled or tagged with substituted carbon-14 isotopes. The working hypothesis was that the waste products synthesized by the microbes would be rich in carbon-14. At both Viking lander sites, approximately 4,000 miles apart, isotopic analysis detected byproducts rich in carbon-14. An additional test, the sample was first heated to 160 degrees Celsius before the nutrients were added. Both tests yielded no byproducts. 
The idea was to first kill off any microbes completely. Other samples were heated to the intermediate temperature of 50 degrees C as a means of killing or weakening any microbes present. The idea was to weaken some but not all of the microbes. This resulted in an intermediate amount of byproducts detected. As one might imagine, researchers who designed this experiment were very pleased and encouraged by the results. Naturally, they felt this would spark follow-up experiments on other missions. According to an interview with the late Dr. Patricia Ann Stratt with John Michael Godier, there was excitement, but that was soon squelched by the NASA administrator in charge. With little or no consideration of these amazing results, he simply declared that there was no life on Mars. Life there was simply not possible given the conditions. There was no mention by NASA of living entities on Mars for the next 20 years, and little or none after the great meteorite hype. The only brief mention was the controversial announcement that fossil microbes could be on a Martian meteorite. It has been nearly 50 years since Viking, and there are still no plans to repeat this experiment. Despite the number of ever-sophisticated rovers being sent, so is life on Mars a fiction? How serious is NASA about science? Instead, we have rovers setting down on rather unlikely spots to test only for fossils. Questions about the origin of life are as old as mankind. The alternative to life not generated by other life is called abiotic life. It seems to me that the true genesis or beginning of life is this abiogenic life. The Holy Grail is finding a way which life may have arisen from the basic chemistry and physics under natural conditions. Modern attempts to explore this topic date from the Miller-Urey experiment and as far back as 1924. In 1952, the American professor Harold Clayton Urey, Nobel Prize for Chemistry in 1934, asked his student, Stanley Lloyd Miller, to perform the experiment. Inside one flask, Miller heated water, and in another he added a mix of hydrogen, ammonia, and methane gas. Combined with water vapor, this was his hypothesized primordial atmosphere. Water vapor from the postulated primitive ocean gave off vapor that passed through a tube connected to the vessel containing the gas mix. Inside this mixture, electrodes with a charge of 60,000 volts excited electric discharges so as to reproduce the assumed frequent and powerful storm phenomena assumed to occur at a time early in Earth's history. The experiment was carried out for a whole week, and in the end they were amazed to see that in the water container... There was a red-orange liquid, which had many compounds, particularly some amino acids, known to be the precursors of proteins found in every living cell. Miller's experiment proved that from simple compounds, thought to be in the primordial atmosphere, complex molecules could have been synthesized that are found in organic compounds of all living organisms. So the assumption was that the biologic precursors of living beings could have formed with a natural chemical synthesis process in a primitive atmosphere with frequent storm phenomena, heat, and ultraviolet radiation. Creating amino acids in a laboratory doesn't mean that one is creating a living organism, but this was a step forward in the abiogenic formation of living beings. Since then, scientists performed many variations of Miller's experiment. It is possible to modify the gas mixture, change the temperature, or change the energy form from electric discharges, all yielding organic compounds. 
However, there is a wide variety of organic molecules, neither created in a laboratory or by living entities. Probes have discovered mixtures of organic compounds in deep space on Saturn's moon Titan and as far away as Pluto. Titan's atmosphere is tinted reddish-brown, as are surfaces of Pluto and Jupiter's moon Europa. This color is typical of what are called tholins. Tholins are a rich mixture of various hydrocarbons made naturally through the interaction of ultraviolet light, carbon, hydrogen, and other molecules. Titan has a gas-liquid cycle similar to Earth, though it is not comprised of water, but of methane and some ethane. Methane raindrops, a centimeter in diameter, fall as slowly as snowflakes on Earth to fill rivers and lakes with what some claim can only come from fossils or the back ends of cows. Comets and asteroids often have their surfaces covered with organic molecules, including fatty acids or amino acids, components of living organisms on Earth. Granted, these constituents are a long way from living cells, but they are a necessary starting point. A cell is a very special space which constitutes a clear boundary between the organism and the rest of the environment. The cell has a selectively permeable membrane, allowing anything from single ions to large molecules to pass in or out through special gates. Fatty acids, which may arise abiogenically, have the formula C and H2N COOH, characteristically made up of saturated or unsaturated aliphatic compounds with an even number of carbon atoms, typically from 12 to 24. Fatty acids may be any of a class of aliphatic monocarboxylic acids that form part of a lipid molecule and can be derived from fat by hydrolysis. The beginning structure of this boundary is comprised of lipids. Lipids behave uniquely in water. Both are polar molecules. Fatty acids and lipids have a hydrophobic, water-fearing end and a hydrophilic, water-loving end. Suspended in water, these molecules will clump together such that the hydrophilic end is as far away from water as possible. The ideal configuration is a spherical ball, rather like a cell, but without the specialized pores. Hydrophobic ends point toward the inside, and hydrophilic ends are in contact with the water on the outside. As for selective permeability for various ions and molecules, as yet only very crude attempts have been made in laboratory, but progress was made at New York University in creating an active membrane pore, which then activated by light would pump material into or out of the artificial cell. My suspicion is that early crude self-organizing cellular spaces worked in concert. From the Foundation for Applied Molecular Evolution, it was recently announced that ribonucleic acid, or RNA, the precursor to deoxyribonucleic acid, or DNA, may be catalyzed from water and simpler constituents filtering over basaltic glass. RNA strands of up to 200 nucleotides in length were easily synthesized, limited only by the length of the experiment. Borax in the basaltic glass structure will stabilize the RNA chains. The leader of the foundation, Dr. Stephen Brenner recently appeared on the Event Horizon podcast. He told the host, John Michael Godier, that high school kids could easily synthesize RNA this way. He was even assembling kits with the basaltic glass he originally used from Iceland for classroom use. It has long been conjectured by naysayers that molecules as complex as RNA could never simply arise from nature. The natural abiotic formation of RNA is truly a groundbreaking development. Like lipids, 
RNA strands will also congregate in large groups, perhaps due to attraction of their nucleotide base pairs. Contrary to the Darwinian notion that populations competing for like resources will leave one dominant constituent, this does not seem to happen with RNA. They actually bolster their survival in this configuration. No selection is still taking place. RNA in the presence of enough nucleotides will replicate sometimes with errors, allowing them to evolve, if you will. RNA strings in the absence of plentiful nucleotides can fold and bond with other sequences within the same string. More importantly, the loose ends of these molecules will catalyze reactions, joining molecules in the environment together or breaking others apart. In a recent publication entitled Unprecedented Videos Show RNA Switching On and Off, RNA strands invade, displace one another to enable genetic decision-making. Researchers led by Northwestern University and the University at Albany discovered one part of RNA smoothly invades and displaces another part of the same RNA strand, enabling the structure to rapidly and dramatically change shape. Called strand displacement, this mechanism appears to switch genetic expression from on to off. There may be other advances beyond this, and I will keep looking. But the case for abiogenesis looks better with each passing year. The ever greater leaps and observations in the laboratory continue to confirm that axiom of physics, that if something can happen once, then likely it has happened many times in many places. I will not resist the temptation here to speculate on my own. If lipids tend to congregate as do RNA strands, Perhaps it is not a great leap to imagine both happening in the same medium, or more importantly, interacting with each other. RNA that is already self-replicating and mutating, as well as catalyzing reactions and creating proteins, may in turn alter some of those lipids in the protocell. After all, the symbiotic, prokaryotic, eukaryotic leap seems to be an accepted theory. Some of the first alterations to RNA, or cell walls, could be those advantageous to both RNA and the lipid membrane. RNA strands could help to assemble additional lipids or alter lipids in such a way as to create pores, allowing RNA to move into the cell. Past the nucleotide or ion constituents and excrete molecules no longer require. The lipid-walled protocells in turn provide a somewhat protected area for the RNA to reside, safe from predation from other RNA strands. Granted, a living cell wall has hundreds of unique pores and ion pumps corresponding to as many unique resources or waste products. I only offer this scenario for speculation, but given enough time, resources, and stable conditions, this process called chemical evolution could move toward what we would define as life. What that crossover point would be is also speculative. We do observe single-celled life forms exchanging genetic information simply through their cell walls. This takes place between cells that are not dividing. They may even be two different species. If some RNA, as one of its first tricks, evolved to move itself into or out of a cell, is not surprising in this light. Even the handedness or chirality we observed was thought to have an explanation. It has been speculated that if we find life on Mars or Enceladus, that is left-handed rather than right-handed, that would be a proof of independent genesis. But what if they're the same? Must we go back to the chicken and egg panspermia argument?
Dr. Ann Stratt regretted that both chimers of nutrients were mixed together in the Viking-labeled release experiment. It was never known which nutrient was metabolized, if that is what happened. A recent paper entitled Cosmic Rays May Explain Life's Bias for Right-Handed DNA in Quanta magazine suggested that the asymmetric polarization of muons in cosmic rays may be responsible. However, the more recent interview with Dr. Stephen Brenner referenced earlier goes against that hypothesis. He could not explain why, but all of the chains catalyzed by his borax containing basaltic glass gave only right-handed RNA. If there are catalysts other than these glasses creating left-handed RNA, they are as yet unknown. Given that these basalts are likely quite common throughout the solar system and on exoplanets, we may not find it for some time. As biogenesis is a profound interest of mine, I hope to have updates in the future. I hope you've enjoyed this program, written and presented by author Michael James Sharon, in conjunction with my many science fiction novels. Please visit the website michaelsbookcorner.com to see what is on offer. A complimentary ebook is available for joining the mailing list. This podcast is available on most outlets such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, Anchor FM, Amazon, and also on YouTube under the playlist Science or Fiction. Look for the host on Instagram, medium.com, or Twitter under at classic underscore sci underscore phi. Thank you.